0: Well, good morning, Door Creek. All right, true confessions. Who's normally a nine o'clock service person? Man, I feel so bad. We gave away ten cars at nine o'clock this morning. So glad that you're here. If you're a guest, my name's Mark, one of the pastors. And if you weren't here last week, would love for you and You're part of this place. Love for you to catch up with the full rooted update. So, grab one of these if you didn't get one or lost yours from last week. There might be some. In the chair backs, or later at the end of the service, you can get one too. But let me just highlight a couple things that we're really excited as we find ourselves midway, you know, through rooted in the initiatives. So um, let me just start by saying, we were not expecting this. But one of the things that happened is we were looking to find space for our north campus, which meets up into forest. Um, we weren't expecting there to be a developer who says, "I've got 10 acres of land." I'm going to be developing like a thousand homes and apartments and condos up there and at the heart of this development I would love for there to be a church and he's not part of Door Creek but he knows about Door Creek I'd love it for to be Door Creek and uh, when we talked to him he agreed that he would actually be willing to build and lease back with an option to buy a building on that 10 acres and so this is one of those not in our wildest dreams that we see this coming so the leadership is moving forward in uh, securing that lease with an option to buy and hopefully like a year from now north campus will be in a beautiful new facility that'll help us reach lots more people in a really great location just off of highway 51 and windsor road and we are ecstatic we are so so excited and grateful to god we need to raise some more money for that project because we weren't anticipating this kind of an opportunity 300,000 more talk about that in just a minute and then we're really excited that we've identified we're not sure it's the right place yet but we're feeling pretty good that there is a wonderful place that's being offered to us Kitty Corner from um, Boomerangs our resale store at Northgate Mall corner of Aberg and Sherman Avenue It's not being offered to us for free, but get this, again, not members of our church, but the owners of Northgate Mall said we'd love to to give you $300,000 to help build out that space so that you can have this new site that's not just a place for us to meet and do church on the north side, but a loving community that just loves and serves the north side of Madison so two incredible opportunities some next steps would be hey if you haven't filled out a growth plan you're not turning this in it's not for me it's not for anybody else it's for you you and this God who loves you and is committed to growing you to be more like Jesus so grab one of these they're out just outside in the atrium by the board there you can see them in the racks fill that out let us know in one word if you can what what, what is it that God wants you to to grow and to be more like Jesus the other thing to do is just be considering praying should I be part of the core group that goes out and starts that new site and we're gonna be gathering the core in these next months right now John Anderson our pastor community development will be leading that charge as we look for a leader and then the third thing is just what can I give so some of you have already committed to rooted some of you didn't fill out a pledge card but you've been giving to rooted um, to date we have 1.6 million dollars in pledges And a year in, we already have over a million dollars in cash received. So we're looking to raise 500,000 more. Three of it would go for that north campus in the forest and the other two divided up between the different projects. So in two weeks, we'll be collecting the pledge cards. And I know some of you go, I don't do pledge cards, but actually doing a pledge card would actually help us know if we can move forward. We need to have $300,000 identified To move forward this really unusual opportunity i didn't tell you this but the land itself is probably worth somewhere between a million and a million and a half dollars is that amazing so anyways that's the 25th and 26th fill out a card and as much of your pledge as you can uh, to to bring that in that would really help continue to move things forward so any questions you have feel free to talk to me afterwards or just shoot us an email on rooted so we're back in our series the storyline so we've done Genesis, the good beginning. We've gone through Exodus, rescued, not just from slavery, but for God, rescued for God. And now we're coming to this next series. It's about the history books of the Bible. So Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 2 Samuel, Second Kings, 1 2 Chronicles. Those all are about the history of God's people before they're taken off into captivity to Babylon and to Assyria. And then Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, the last three of the 12 historical books of the Old Testament, have to do with the history of God's people after the exile, okay? So we're in that particular part of the story. And if I showed you a map, as we get into uh, Joshua, in Joshua 1 and 2, we're right here. Joshua's gonna send out the spies in chapter 2 from Shatim. They've been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. Remember their disobedience? brought them to this place where the 10, 12 spies came back, right, from spying out the promised land. And they said, man, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. And uh, the, the grapes and the produce is big indeed, but the people and the cities are bigger still. And uh, we look like grasshoppers, they said. They had grasshopper syndrome. So all they could see was what was in front of them, and they lost sight of God and his promises. Two of the spies, though, Joshua and Caleb said, no, no, big cities for sure, big people for sure, but this is what God has for us. And the people basically said, we believe the majority report, which was wrong. It's good to remember that. Majority report's not always right. Conventional wisdom is not always right. So they doubted God's goodness. They're bickering and complaining. Said, you know what, it'd be better if we just died here in the wilderness than go on this suicide mission and get slaughtered in the promised land. And so God said, wish granted, Want to die in the wilderness? Everybody 20 years and older is going to die in the wilderness. And so they've been circling around for 40 years. And now the last person has died, and it's time to move into the promised land. So grab your Bible. Joshua chapter 1 is where we're at. And we pick up with some important information. So Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. Right in the front there, before Judges, after Deuteronomy chapter 1. And the important piece of information that we have, and that actually Joshua needed, was that Moses, their great leader, is now dead. So you see that verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. To the Israelites. So Moses is dead. Moses' life divides into three 40 year periods. First 40 years, remember, he's rescued by the princess of Pharaoh and he grows up in the palace. He's educated in all the ways of the Egyptians in the palace, right? So he's got this life of luxury. The next 40, remember, he kills an Egyptian. And then the word is out and he flees to the Midian desert where he runs into this guy named Jethro who's a priest in Midian. He marries her daughter and he takes care of sheep for 40 years. He's not, he, it's not until he's 80 that God says, all right, it's time. It was time. You had your timing off 40 years ago. You had your methods off 40 years ago. I'm going to rescue you from Egypt. It's time. That's a good thing to remember if you find yourself in your 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80's, that God calls Moses when he's 80 to lead his people. And that's the last 40 years. And the last 40 years of his life is kind of like repeat of the, the, the middle 40 years, the 40 years before. Remember, he's a shepherd of sheep? And sheep aren't always the brightest of animals now. He's the shepherd of God's people, and they're more difficult than sheep. Way more difficult. He actually spends 80 years of his life wandering in a wilderness, and he never makes it in. And yet he's called one of the greatest leaders, if not the greatest leader, In the entire Bible, except for Jesus Christ, the meekest man, not the weakest man, the meekest man means strength under control, a man of great faith and courage and boldness, a man who had great compassion for his people when they were bellyaching and all the rest, and God says, I'm starting over with you, Mo. Moses says, don't. For the honor and glory of your name and your reputation, don't do it. He stands in the gap to save his people from God's judgment. He's his great, great man of faith. But he doesn't make it into the promised land. And the reason he doesn't is because he disobeys God's clear command. They're at the waters of Kadesh. The people are mumbling and grumbling and complaining, and he's had it with them. He cries out to God. God said, here's what I want you to do. Take the people, move them all to this rock, and talk to the rock, and the water's going to flow, and it's going to be enough for them and all their livestock and cattle and all the sheep, right? But he was ticked off, and he has a little momentary Moses hissy fit. And he starts chewing out the people. He starts talking about how he and Aaron are gonna supply the water. Instead of speaking to the rock, he strikes the rock twice with a staff. And God said, you're not gonna be able to go. You're not gonna be able to go. You didn't trust my word, and you didn't honor me as holy in front of the people. So what Moses got was a glimpse of the promised land from the top of Mount Nebo, and nobody else was up there. He dies on the mountain. He's buried by God. His remains, his bones, none of that is in play. People in Israel, they don't know where that is, and Joshua needs to be told that he's gone, and you're the man, and he is shaking in his boots. And we would be too. I mean, this is a great man that he's following, right? This is a a, a mission that he has that is daunting, that he's now got to assume leadership. Of two million people is probably the estimate 600,000 fighting men equals probably two million wives and kids and then all their cattle right the old the young everything it's a daunting task to move them from point A to point B the promised land with the Jordan River in between and lots of enemies to conquer and then he's got not only to lead them geographically into and settle them into this land that he'll say is from Lebanon in the north to the desert, Arabian desert in the south, from the east, the Euphrates River, and all the way to the west, the Great Sea, the Mediterranean. But he's got to actually lead these people spiritually, not just geographically into the promised land, but lead them to continue to trust God, to believe his promises, to to obey his commands, to follow his way, to be his people that would be part of his unfolding story of these people blessing all the peoples, all the families of the world. And so um, he's afraid. He doesn't feel up to the task. He's following a great leader. He's leading a difficult people. On what seems like a really impossible mission he's afraid Joshua didn't feel like he was a Moses type and you and I probably go we don't feel like we're a Joshua type so this doesn't really have anything to do with us actually it has a lot to do with us because all of us here in this room have or will one day soon have uh, opportunities responsibilities to lead maybe it's in your home in your marriage, maybe it's at school, in the workplace, in the community, leading a ministry, a small group of high school students or middle school students or young fourth graders or fifth graders right here, right? Leading a worship team, uh, a service team, a a trip that's going overseas. We'll have opportunities to lead and you shouldn't be surprised if the, the task ahead of you, the responsibilities before you make you nervous, afraid, and maybe even discouraged. Like how in the world? What do you need at this time? What do you need? Is the very things that Joshua needed. So let's just catch up. There are three things that God gives him. He reminds him of his promises. He reminds him of the importance of, of just obeying his word, trusting him, taking him at his word, right? And he gives him a third thing that every leader craves and needs to be strong and courageous. So pick it up in verse 3 and notice the repeated phrase of be strong and courageous. So verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot. So here are the promises, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert in the south to Lebanon right up in the north, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, that's out in the east, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So there's three promises that is the stuff that makes us strong and courageous for whatever we're facing that makes us really fearful, feeling weak. So the the, the first promise is, I'm going to give you this land. I promised it to Moses, and before Moses, I promised it to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is the land that I've always promised for my people. I'm going to give you this land. Every foot that your every step that your foot takes right on this land, that's yours. I'm giving you the land. Second thing, I'm giving you victory. Verse five. Nobody is going to be able to stand against you. That was really good because he's still remembering what the spies said. Big cities, big dudes. Wow, he was fighting grasshopper syndrome. Like, how is this going to work? He needed to hear that. I'm giving you the land. No one's going to stand against you. And then in verse 5 and again in verse 9, and I will be with you, verse 9, wherever you go. That's not the stuff just for an ancient leader of God's people thousands of years ago. This is the stuff for today that we remember as we find ourselves challenged and afraid in places of leadership. We know our destiny. The land was never just about the land in Israel. It was always about God's presence, God's people being in God's place under his rightful rule. And the end of the story is that promised land is none other than the new heaven and the new earth right here. That's not just the Israelites' destiny in Joshua's. That's our destiny, right? What Ben was talking about, about finding our rest in Christ, in his presence. No enemy can stand against you. What does Jesus say? Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. There's nothing you're facing that's a spiritual power or an earthly power that is bigger and stronger than Christ's spirit in you. Nothing in this universe more powerful than that. And we have the same promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Go make disciples, right? And I'll be with you until the end of the age. That's God's promise for you and me today. And we hang on to those promises and that breeds strength and courage. But there's more. He needed to be connected to the commands of God's word. So we continue and we read this. Verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Here it is. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Don't veer off. That you may be successful wherever you go. You want success in your life? The, The key is really clear. Know God's word, follow God's word. He goes on to say, if you're gonna be a person who follows God's word, then here's what you need to do. Keep the book of the law. That would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy is the book of the law, the, the Torah, the law. He says, keep the book of the law always on your lips so that your words are always connected to God's word. Meditate on this book of the law. day. And night. Have it, you're just going over it. You're mulling over it. Think of a, uh, of a cow chewing its cup. Think of a, a tea bag just soaking into that cup of hot water, right? Just permeating every part of it. Meditate on it day and night. Here's why so that you'll be careful to do everything written in it. Meditation has its, always the goal of obedience. And the obedience brings about what? Then you'll be prosperous and successful. And in America, we're going, ka ting, ka I like that. I want to prosper some more. I'm, no, that's it. In, in all that God's calling you to do as a leader, Joshua, I'm going to grant you success. And you're going to prosper as a godly man who leads his people well. That's what he's talking about here. Have I not commanded you, verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so you remember the promises and you follow the commands. Obedience brings success to the mission God is calling you today. Obedience is not accidental, it is very much intentional. Hence, he says, meditate on it. Proactively place your mind and heart in and on the truth of God's word. And I'm wondering right now what truth in God's word, what command in God's word is actually changing the way that you think and you act for what's hard. What I think we're prone to do in our day is you got a leadership challenge, you go, I know there's a good book on that one. Where is it? And you just, you know, I was just traveling to a conference this week and going through the airport and. Just seeing the little kiosks full of leadership books. And every year, more leadership books. Hey, all truth is God's truth. I've learned a lot from those leadership books. But our first instinct as we find ourselves fearful in the face of the challenges that God has placed before us is we go back and remember his promises that are in his word. And we remember his commands that we would do the commands. That's where we find strength. And that's where we find success. And then he gives them this sweet ingredient that every leader longs for and that you may not have thought about that's the trifecta here. It's the encouragement of his people. Look down at verse 16. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So what did he need? He needed to be reminded of God's promises. He needed to be reminded of, so that's future, right, of what to do today, obedience. And he needed to hear the encouragement of a group of people who said, They could have said, not you. You're not Moses. Oh, man, this is not going to go well. But you know what? We recognize that you're the leader that God's provided. We want to strengthen and encourage you. We want to let you know we are with you. We're going to follow you. And so be strong. They, They encouraged him, right? They exhorted him in the same way. So who's the leader in your life? at work, in your family? Who's the leader that needs that kind of encouragement? That's, it's a beautiful thing when a leader is surrounded with that. Most of Moses' experience was like, we want another leader. That's what the people were saying. What a gift to this young, shaken-in-his-boots leader. So that's the story of Joshua as we find it in chapter 1. Now we pick up the the theme of fear again in chapter 2, but it's really different. It's about an outsider. Her name is Rahab. She's actually a prostitute. She's not part of God's people. She's certainly not a leader in God's people, right? She's a prostitute, but she is deathly afraid. The, The chapter opens with Joshua setting out two spies to go check out the promised land, do a reconnaissance mission to come back, and he said, especially check out Jericho. So they go to Jericho, They find themselves, you know, um, they find themselves in the house of Rahab, a prostitute. That wasn't an accident. A lot of guys are moving in and out of that place. Good place to kind of get into that city and maybe not be noticed, but they were noticed. The king's men sent the report. The king sent the men back to Rahab's house to have these guys handed over. She says, they're not here. They were here, but they're not here. Actually, they were up on the roof, hiding under the flax, which is drying in the sun. She lies. She says, they're not here. They just left. If you get after them, you should be able to catch them real soon. I think they just went out of the city gate. And so what we find out is she and everybody in Jericho is gripped with fear. There's this great phrase that says, their hearts were melting in fear. Can you just see it? Just anything but a posture of strength and courage. So pick it up in verse 8 of chapter 2. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. That's a remarkable statement of faith. And that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. That's the third time we're hearing about that. And everyone's courage failed because of you. Now, look what, what, look what happened with her fear. What is she afraid of? Not of leading something. This is really different than Joshua. She's afraid of what? She's afraid of dying. She's convinced that she and her people are dying, and Rahab's fear of dying actually leads her to To faith. And here's this bold proclamation of faith. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She didn't say, For your God is God wherever you go. No, He is the Creator God over all things. He is God. He alone is God. She's declaring her faith. She's not brokering a deal. The first thing she could have done is said, Hey, guys. So just by the way, just to catch you up, I don't know if you heard the doorbell, but yeah, that was the king's men. They were looking for you. And you know what? I just covered for you. So I just saved your necks. And I would like a little love. I need you to save my neck and my people's necks and my family. She doesn't start there. She starts with this bold proclamation of faith. A lot of times when we're afraid of dying or in this crisis, we start bartering with God. Hey, God, if you'd get me out of this, I promise I'll go and be a missionary wherever you want me to go. I'll give all my money to the poor. And you you start making a deal with God. No, actually, in her crisis where she's really afraid of dying, she does the right thing. And she places her trust and all of her hope in Yahweh, the Lord, the covenant-making God the miracle-working God, the all-powerful God, the only one that she could trust in at this time. She does that, and it's a beautiful thing. Then it tells us in verses 12 and following that she says, okay, now that I've declared my faith in God, can we talk about the future here and what's about to happen to my city? Because I, I, I know this thing's gonna get overrun by the israelites and i'm asking that you would have mercy on me just as i had mercy on you and the guy said deal but here's the deal so you got to do three things the first is you can't spill the beans and tell anybody about where we are our whereabouts and what's happened here the second is we want you to take this scarlet cord that she, in a, mo- in a moment, is gonna have that cord tied up on the roof. So she's, she's on the, her house is on top of the, ro- the wall, this big, fat-walled city. Her house is on top of it, right? And she's gonna let this rope out of the window to let the two spies escape. They said, when we come, in order for your life to be spared, you gotta have that scarlet cord out of the window. We gotta see it. And the third thing is, If you want your family saved, they've got to get under your roof where the scarlet cord is coming out of the window. That's that's the deal. And she says, yes. And we know from chapter 6 that that's exactly what she did. So get this, for seven days they march around. They cross the Jordan. For seven days, they're marching around Jericho. People are looking down and going, this is so pathetic. What are these people doing? The silent march for six days, one time around, and they go off, right? And then the last day, and the trumpet's and the people roar, and they don't do anything, but God does everything. The whole city crumbles, except, can you see it in your mind's eye? Everything, there's like this, this cloud of dust, right, that's just coming up. And through the cloud of dust you go hey wait a minute there's part of the wall hey wait a minute there's this red line coming down rahab rahab and her mother and her father and her brothers and sisters we read about it in joshua 6 23 so the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out rahab her father and mother and her brothers and sisters and all who belonged to her they brought out her entire family and put them in the place outside the camp of Israel then they burned the whole city and everything in it but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house but Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day she was saved from right from God's judgment, and she's part of God's people. But it gets better than that. It gets better than that. You keep chasing the story of Rahab, and you find out she's 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 like a major star in the story. It's like this isn't her solo cameo appearance. She shows up. So she and her husband have a son whose name is Boaz, who marries Ruth. And Ruth. Ruth's great-grandson is none other than King David. Rahab's great-great-grandson is the greatest king, the one to whom God said, I'm gonna have your throne. Endure forever, and you're gonna have a son who is gonna reign forever on your throne. Speaking of Christ, she is part of Jesus' family tree, and Matthew makes that point clear in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Are you afraid of dying today? I mean, really. It's, it's, It's something to be afraid of if you don't have Christ in your life, the one who conquered death. It's not a time to barter. It's a time to recognize who God is. This covenant-making God who loves you. It's time for you to get under the roof, not of Rahab's house with a scarlet cord, but of, of God's house under the cross that Jesus paid all the penalty of what separated us from God and have us deserving death. And he's given us his righteousness and through faith in him, not good works, that we become a member of his family, daughters and sons of God. And so her faith brought salvation to her family and through her family, her great, 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 whatever it is, Jesus, right? Blessing to all the families. Oh, friend, I would hope if you're dealing with fear of dying that you would hear the story of Rahab again, maybe for the first time. She's an outsider. She wasn't a religious person. She's got a checkered past, and God's grace is sufficient for all of it and transformed her life. God transforms our lives. He's not looking for a pedigree, for a perfect record. He's looking for wholehearted faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the scarlet thread, if you will, of the story of the gospel of God's love for us in Christ, the one who bled on the cross for you and me. And so whatever you're afraid of today, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Don't be discouraged. Don't fear. Your God is great. He is with you. Believe his promises, follow his word. Let's pray. Lord, grant faith in the face of our fear, grant hope in the face of death in and through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love. Thank you for grace. Strengthen us to be your people who lead well, who follow well, today and until you call us home or come to get us. In Christ's name we pray.